Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, it's all about veterinary school unleashed. You don't want to miss this one. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we are talking all about one of the toughest times in our lives. That is veterinary medical school. And we've got a very special guest. As always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney, and I'm so pleased to introduce future veterinarian Seth Williams and founder and host of the podcast Vet School Unleashed. And Seth, I got to ask, I think the question we're all asking is, how do you find or make the time to record a podcast while you're in vet school? Uh, do you need sleep? Because I, I'm mm. not sure. Uh, no. <laughs> and yes, you need sleep. Seth, you know, 100%. Yes, you do. I, I should not be saying that right off the bat. Sleep is very good. Do not forget sleep. But no, I mean, I needed something to uh, to do that wasn't school. And I've got a bit of a background in, in music and in radio and saw that there was a need for some veterinary school podcasts out there and, and for discussions about vet school. So I kind of went with it and saw where it would go. And it's been a really great way to, to, to meet new people and, and meet veterinarians and talk about some really good topics. Well, Seth, you just sort of glossed over a very important part of your story when you said, I kind of have a little background in music. I think it's a little more than a kind of a little background in music. Maybe you could back us up and tell us how you got here, especially back there in the musical world. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird story. I I went to school, so I'm a, uh, I graduated high school in 2005, so I'm a bit older than my fellow classmates. Um, but I, uh, I went to school at the University of Miami down in Florida, go Hurricanes, and I had the initial goal of wanting to do something medicine related. So I thought I was going to go to medical school, but I, I really loved music and I had a really big passion for it. So uh, Miami was a place that allowed you to double major in both music and something outside of the music school. And I went for that, but found a, uh, you know, a semester or two into that, that that was a crazy course load and uh, was a little bit too much for me to handle, whether it was just the course load or, or my maturity at that time. So I decided to go to the Career Counseling Center and try to figure out what I want to do with my life. And uh, of course, when I was taking all the, the tests that would kind of try to narrow down your interests uh, professionally... It was right down the middle between music, business, and science. Okay, that wait, that's not a middle, that's a third. So, <laughs> okay. so music, business, and science, and you're conflicted. You're a young person, so you weighed in and you decided what? Right, and I was like, what am I going to do? Now, luckily, <laughs> luckily at Miami, they had a really great music business program. So I was kind of going to get the best of two of those three worlds. And I had a bunch of friends in that program and and kind of went with that. And I loved it. Uh, I got a more or less a business degree with a in music industry twist on it. So learning different things, uh, not only your core business classes, but also how that worked into the entertainment industry. So graduated with that degree, uh, came back home to St. Louis, where I grew up, and was very fortunate to find a job with a small production company here in town doing concert promotion and concert production, as well as um, uh, some leadership conference and uh, 
uh, operations, things like that. And again, really loved it. But about three or four years into it, I was kind of looking for some further growth and was looking a little bit further down the line and was realizing that my growth in that company was uh, hitting its ceiling. So went back to kind of the drawing board and my my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, kind of said, well, you, you really love science still and you really uh, seem to be going back to that. And, and I've always loved animals, but that was really never at the <laughs> forefront of my mind. I thought that was just kind of a normal thing that, that I that that people did is they they loved their dogs and cats and and that was it. Um, so I was talking to some people more and more and realized that I could do science, I could do business, and I could work with the animals I love by being a veterinarian. And a light bulb literally went off in my head, and I decided to resign from my my job and and that paycheck, which was really hard, and and went back to to school for a couple of years at uh, one of the local universities here in town in St. Louis to get all of my prerequisites done again and applied to vet school and here I am. And I love you're not just the only one actually it's starting to become kind of a creepy theme the number of musicians (laughs) we've had on this podcast (laughs) who ended up going into veterinary medicine to either as the more practical option or to to do something uh, that would would bring in a little bit more money but I think it, it highlights that when someone sat you down and said you have to pick one of these three that there are things out there where you can be creative and you can love science and you can do business. I think right. your your whole career is just a great highlight of that. Well, one other quick question, the obvious. I mean, what's your musical instrument? Mm-hmm. Uh, good question. So I grew up, uh, you know, starting from first, second grade playing drums. And throughout high school, uh, got into more of the classical percussion side of things. And with going to Miami and being part of the music school there, even though I have a music business degree, my major was actually music and my degree is a bachelor of music, which is uh, kind of weird, a whole other topic. But um, so I, I was required to be proficient in an instrument and take all the music courses from music theory and playing in ensembles and taking lessons and all of that. So I was trained in classical percussion down in school. Um, have not done much of that since, just since you can't really go to a friend and start a symphony or something like that. So um, <laughs> I'm back to playing drums for fun and playing some bands when I was before vet school and having fun with that. And, you know, drums is just another way to, to do something. Well, you know, Seth, I'm a longtime bass player. So you know what they say about us? We're the real drummers. But anyway. Right, right. <laughs> oh, guys, don't start a fight now. Oh, man, it's the rhythm section. That's the push and the pull without us <laughs> keeping that bottom down. You know, the music goes nowhere. Okay, so Seth, you're at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine now. You're in your third year. And I have to ask kind of an obvious question. How's it going? Well, I will tell you that now that I've been in clinics for a few months now, we entered clinics in October, which is, I think, pretty unique to to University of Missouri. I know some other universities around the country are starting to go towards getting their students into the clinical rotations in their third year. But since we've been in the hospital, it has been so much different. And uh, really, uh, I think one of the highlights of vet school has just begun. I have found that being in the hospital is so energizing and I'm learning, I feel like I'm learning so much more than I did in the classroom, which is probably not true, but things are coming together now. Um, so it kind of re reinvigorated me and, and got me really excited about studying again because it's a whole kind of different, um, different pace. All right. Now I want to dig in a little deeper there because this is the issue. What is it that's different? I mean, you, know, you said it, you're, you feel more energized. You feel like things are coming together. So where did the first two years of veterinary school go wrong and where is it going right now? 
So I, I have this this little hunch that the reason that clinics are so great and so um, they do such a great job of pulling these different concepts that you learn in didactics together is that you're looking at all of these concepts, be it physiology and anatomy or or just general medicine, is that you're using cases to relate things to. And looking back to the first two years of vet school, I think that if we had more case-based learning, things would have stuck a lot better. Um, I, I think I, I, I experienced this firsthand during our clinical pathology course, which was in our second year, which was pretty much entirely case-based. We would go over blood work every day and, and kind of get taught the different things that each parameter was trying to tell us. And it was one of my favorite classes, and I know that I, I'm speaking for a lot of people in my class as well, that it was just an unbelievably taught class. Um, and I think it was because of the case-based nature. Interesting. And of course, this has been debated long before I was in veterinary school, and it will continue to be debated long after we're all gone on this planet. But, you know, it's a tough one because we don't, there's a balance there. It's threading that needle, and it's quite frankly an impossible task. Right. But, Becky, I'd like to ask you you know, you are on the veterinary technician side of this equation, and you see a lot of Seths, right? I mean, you see either veterinary medical students coming through your clinics as uh, clinical externs, or you see them when they first graduate. What's kind of your take on, and how, what kind of advice would you give someone like Seth, you know, who's that third year student out there listening today? Yeah. So I actually got the opportunity to um, meet Seth and be on his podcast to sort of talk about that. And one thing I have to say I love about Seth and what he's doing and the leadership he's bringing is personal time. He is really able to find like these outlets in this balance that is keeping him from going crazy in vet school. And I think it's going to be um, a cool thing that moves into your professional life um, because I think it's really important to continue to maintain your passions and have those outlets. And um, so I, I think that he has got a different point of view than a lot of the new grads I'm used to seeing who have maybe been part of that super chicken population. But um <laughs> You know, I think the the biggest thing with these guys is they are um, they're lacking comp. You know, it's funny they go from like one day you're a student and then you get this white coat and then you're a doctor, and it can be really hard to transition. And um, I my best advice is lean on your technicians and listen to your technicians and let them help and guide you. They have a lot of experience in the hands-on portion and, and with diagnostics and with helping veterinarians see the big picture. And they can be a true asset. I think Seth gets that, but I think um, the best thing I always say to these guys is is utilize your technicians and, and keep them on your, on your friendly side for sure. Ooh, nice. So Seth, let's now turn back to your current classmates, you know, and you've been with them now for two years and some change. Um, what do you, what do you think about the culture? I mean, what's, what's it like? Are you guys gelling as a group? Is it a tight camaraderie or do you have gunners who are always trying to be at the top of the class, you know, trying to gun for that top spot? I mean, what's the, what's the vibe? One thing about Mizzou that I think makes us really special, and I think a lot of other schools have this same the same feeling, is that we have a very tight knit group in our class, and each class has this really great uh, rapport amongst everybody. Going through our first two years, there were not uh, there's not a sense of of competition. There was not a sense of trying to beat the other person out. It was just a lot of support and trying to help each other whenever we could. And I think that is has come through with us through clinics. Um, and what's cool about clinics is that not only are we with our our fellow third year 
classmates, but also with the fourth year classmates. So we're getting to learn a little bit from them with their their uh, extra year of experience in the hospital. And everyone is just super nice and supportive. Um, I would say that no one is trying to to uh, to gun anybody else out. Everyone takes their fair share of the work and, and helps out whenever they can. Um, so overall, just just a really good supportive community, and I think that's really important. A really important habit and and thing to to get instilled in you for when you get out and practice. Because I've heard some horror stories of uh, of different staffs in different hospitals that do not gel well, and and how that can be such a detriment to the daily operations and the goals of the practice in general. If you don't have a a team that's working well together, because because as you just said, Becky, I think you know with everyone working together, the techs, the doctors, the assistants. Um, the 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 better the camaraderie, the better the teamwork, and and the 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 best way that everyone can work together is only going to help everybody out and and help you practice the best medicine you can. Absolutely, and Seth, knowing that you guys are in school and in a sense still kind of have the training wheels on, you know, you have backup in terms of interns, residents, professors. What do you think there might be in that transition from from school into practice? that might contribute to the breakdown of some of that camaraderie? Uh, anything that you're worried about or anything that you and your classmates talk about avoiding or, or trying to look for in a practice to, to keep that that feeling going? Keep the love alive. I like yeah. that, Cindy. That's good. I, I, I haven't experienced it myself, but I have, I have thoughts that maybe that when new graduates get out, they are feeling really good as they should. Um, I know I'm going to feel really good when I'm out, but maybe that gets to their head a little bit too much. And they, I, I worry about having kind of this, the doctor complex where you, the doctors are the, the, they're on this, this throne, this pedestal and, and what they say goes where, whereas I think the, the best way to, to go about things and the best way to be a veterinarian and, and any doctor for that matter is to, to use the team and to kind of be equal parts to make this, this really great system. So um, I think having that, um, having that way of thinking instilled in you before you get out of vet school and to carry that through you into the professional life is, is going to, is going to go way beyond, um, anything else. And I would extend that theory into including the clients as part of your team too. I think that's something that maybe I didn't have emphasized as much when I was in school was recognizing what clients have to add to the equation in terms of their expertise and understanding of their own animal. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had clients come up with something creative in terms of a great way to get their pet medication or to keep their pet quiet that I've been able to ask their permission and share that with other other patients too. So uh, definitely extend that idea of a team even further. 100%. Now let's turn a little bit more back to that classroom and you guys are, it's on the weekends, you guys are sitting, chilling around, talking about the stuff that affects us most. And just coming back from VMX, you know, as part of the AVMA committee on student or educational debt. Now um, we talk a lot about that, but are you guys sitting over a nice glass of wine or a six pack of beer? Are you guys going, Holy crud, we got $300,000 in debt. I mean, what's the vibe like on that topic within your class? Uh, I, I think for now, ignorance is bliss. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I, I don't think it's really on the minds of a lot of people right now. I, I uh, Through some great organizations like the VBMA and some other financial planners coming to speak with us, it's becoming more of a, a topic to talk about about 
how do loans actually work? How do you pay them back? What are the terms? Uh, how much am I going to have to be putting into my loans once I get out of school? Because I don't think it is something that is uh, very widely known. I'm getting chills down my back because, you know, it's like that is the problem, right? right. There's just no awareness. These people are writing checks that they don't know how they're going to ever be able to pay back. I mean, wow. So seriously, in 2018, you're telling us that, you know what, there's still a lack of awareness when it comes to educational debt for a lot of my classmates. Sure, absolutely. And, and <sighs> I think, you know, again, organizations like the VBMA and anything that you can get uh, get some knowledge from in terms of the business of veterinary medicine and, and loans and finance, um, it's so important because it's definitely not taught enough, definitely in vet school. I don't even think it's taught really at all in, in pre-vet or pre-med classes. So, um, yeah, wow. a total detriment to, to us. And, and, and I feel so bad for everyone that doesn't have a business background because I can only imagine that once you graduate and you're hit with that first bill for your loans, that it's, it's quite the shock. Yeah. And Seth, like you, I had a business background as well. And so, you know, I was setting down and doing amortization schedules for, for the <laughs> different school options I was looking at and, and had some idea of, of what I was getting into. But I think nothing can quite prepare you for the emotional load of having that kind right. of debt right. and saying like, what percent of my salary is going toward paying this thing off? And oh, it's been five years and I have I feel like I've barely made a dent because it's all going toward interest. So, so I think that's something that's hard to portray to people. Um, Obviously, you did have a business background. What What are your thoughts in terms of connecting with those pre-med or pre-vet students who might be thinking about vet school in helping make them more aware of the problem and how they can prepare to, to minimize it for themselves going in? How early do we have to start talking to people about this and, and what can we do? Sure. I think it would be a great idea that as part of the pre-med or pre-vet curriculum in undergraduate universities that at least one business class or one finance class be required. It doesn't have to be anything that is super complicated. It's just this is this is a balance sheet and this is how loans work in general and um, and uh, cash flow and, and and business management things like that. Just to get get their feet a little bit wet, just a little bit damp <laughs> to get some knowledge uh, into their heads about the the intricacies of all that. Because I I think. Uh, some some veterinary students are getting into the profession just to practice medicine, and that's totally fine. But I think what sometimes is is forgotten is that it's still a business, and everything that you do throughout the day um, is going to have some financial tie, whether to you or to the to the practice owner. Um, so so I, I think it'd be a great idea. I know that I would have loved to have a business class as part of my my required prerequisites before vet school. Yeah, Seth, I mean, this is a serious debate that has got to continue to be elevated because we are still shuffling the deck, in my opinion, when it comes to this debate. I mean, we're making this about income, interest rates, you know, and cost of tuition. Whereas, you know, again, like you said, a holistic approach just early on saying, hey, this is how this stuff works. I, I put the responsibility squarely at, at this current time on the universities because there is no reason that my alma mater, University of Georgia or Missouri or any other veterinary school should not have you guys sit down for like two hours with a financial planner your freshman year and go, okay, you know, guys, when you guys are going to the student loan office, this is actually what it's going to look and feel like, you know, five years after graduation. And so, wow, Cindy, I, I know you're hot on this too, but we've got to do a better job as a profession preparing these students. And I'm going to take a little issue, Ernie. I, I think it's something that 
is such a big problem that we all have to take ownership of it. I think pre-vet students do, vet students do, vet current veterinarians do. Uh, one of the things I think about frequently is when I'm talking to people who are interested in veterinary medicine, are we even mentioning like, hey, you got to have a plan to be walking out of vet school with only $60,000 worth of debt. And if you can't do that, you got to find a way. Um, right. So I, we're talking with students about, you know, you're going to have to work hard and you're going to have to get all A's. It doesn't mean we're scaring people away. It just means we're talking to them about the practical realities of getting into this profession. And, you know, Cindy, and, that, and that's the pushback that we're getting, at least from, you know, the organizations within mm -hmm. our profession. They're saying, well, whoa, guys, you know, if we start telling people it may cost them $200,000 to acquire this degree, they may stop coming. And I'm kind of like, well, okay, maybe that would encourage or incentivize people to seek other ways to pay. Or maybe we have to, again, break the whole system and change it. I don't know. I think this is a really, really important topic. This just, I, I mean, Seth, is, it's, it's, it's amazing to me and quite alarming that you're saying, you know, yeah, we're kind of not talking about it. Well, and I think it's interesting too, and I'm curious, you know, what the conversation is about veterinary technician as a, as a quote unquote backup, because I know that, um, the pre-vet students at, um, NC state university have the tech colleges come in and talk to the pre-vet students about like, you know, right. Hey, you guys are not all going to get into vet school. And it just blows my mind that we have this huge need for veterinary technicians with like, I, you know, I understand it is a very different career and it's a different path. And I always say we are not a consolation prize, but it is a really cool path that I think that there's a lot of happiness in. And we have this huge, you know, deficit on our end, um, as well as a very affordable <laughs> education, you know, especially yeah. comparatively. And here we are with this flooded market of veterinarians with huge debt and this this lifelong kind of, you know, issue that they have to carry with them. And it, I just find it interesting. Yeah, so Seth, I know that when you had your conversation with Becky on your podcast, that you were you were sort of you know that was sort of an education for you and your listeners to say, wow, you know these veterinary technicians do some pretty amazing things. Do you think we should do more like Becky is saying as far as outreach at a pre vet level, saying, hey, you know there are these other pathways? Absolutely, because I, I know that a lot of people that I met in my undergraduate or when my, my second round through uh, undergrad was that they really liked veterinary medicine. But I think what they found out that they really liked was the the, the hands-on, getting in the trenches, putting in catheters, being surgery technicians or nurses, uh, doing a lot more of the hands-on and day-to-day things in the practice, which, uh, you know, once, once most of our out, most veterinarians are not placing catheters every day or, or, or placing into, into tracheal tubes. So they may have found that, that being a veterinarian is not what they thought they wanted to be, that they, what they actually want to do and what they want to be is a, a veterinary technician or veterinary nurse. So, so absolutely, uh, Becky, that's a, a terrific idea. Um, because, because being a veterinarian is, is, is one thing and, and being a, a veterinary technician or nurse is, is a whole other thing and each are great, great opportunities and roles to play in, in a practice. That's fabulous. It, one of the things that struck me as I got out into practice, Seth, uh, advice for you and for any of the vet students listening, is just the sheer energy it takes to be the decider. So we know that there's decision fatigue, right? And so a lot of being a veterinarian is just making tons of tiny decisions all day long. And of course, veterinary technicians make a lot of nursing decisions as well. But if something goes wrong at the end of the day, often it's going to be the veterinarian's license on the line. It's often going to be the veterinarian 
getting sued. Um, maybe not as big of a worry or a threat as a lot of us feel it is when we're in vet school, but that was the biggest change for me. And I don't know that there's a good way to practice that or experience that before you actually do the job. Right. And I think that's where some of our clinicians in the hospital during our teaching years in, in vet school can really come into play, uh, where I think it'd be great. And, and they do a pretty good job of this at Mizzou, um, where you would go into the room first and, and meet with the client and the patient and, and do your physical and, and create a plan and go back with the clinician and discuss that plan and have that clinician actually make you make a decision. And of course, they'll back you up or, or, mm -hmm. or help you help guide you if you need to change that plan. But do a bit, a bit of uh, less handholding, if you will. Because um, I know that once we get out of school, we're going to be the, the ones making those decisions. We may not have great mentorship or, or a clinician that's going to be behind us to, to catch our mistakes. So uh, the, the early exposure, uh, like you said, of making those decisions early and trying to think on our own instead of using our clinicians as a crutch uh, can go pretty far. Yeah. And Seth, uh, sadly, I, I agree with Cindy. It's, I don't know, a good way to teach it. It's like the old rock climbing adage, you know, you don't really fear falling till you unclip, you right. know, so it's, you're going to be out there free climbing. And speaking of unclipping and falling, I want to know, are you guys as students, as veterinary medical school students talking about like the Me Too issue? Is sexual harassment something that is at the forefront of your conversations? And if so, what does that conversation look like? Yeah, it's a good question. I was just thinking about the uh, I was just thinking about that today, uh, about ha have I heard of any of, uh, of the sexual harassment discussions going on in vet school? And to be honest, at least at Mizzou, that's, that's the only, uh, only institution I can speak for, is that I haven't, I haven't heard much of, of any discussion about that specific topic. Dang, Seth, let me tell you, you guys, nobody is in competition. <laughs> You're not worried about student debt. There's no sexual. I want to go to Missouri. Cindy, yeah. sign me up. Yeah, I don't know. My time at Virginia, Maryland was pretty good too. So I, I wonder. I certainly heard during my years, though, that there were there were some schools that were a little bit more competitive than others, and it varies class to class too. So, so seriously, like that's not something that's being openly discussed, and like saying, "Hey, guys, what do you think about this? Is this a real problem for us as veterinarians?" Right. No, I. I it's definitely not being discussed, at least uh, on the forefront right now. But that, in a way, kind of worries me because, as we've seen in the press and in entertainment, that that sexual harassment has been happening a lot more often than we had thought, or at least that was spoken about. So I'm kind of just waiting, uh, and kind of unfortunately just waiting for something to start popping up that may open the, open the doors to having more of these discussions. So I think s some things are yet to be seen in, in the veterinary school world, at least at, at Mizzou. Now, hopefully nothing is going on, but, but again, with everything that we've seen, in, in kind of our modern culture that I would not be surprised if there were some things that were kept under the radar and hopefully they'll be talked about more. Well, let me just jump in there real quick, because is this something like, again, the student debt, like, again, my belief is, well, the schools should be talking about this more openly and earlier. Should the schools be addressing this? Should they come out openly and say, we'd like to have the students and, you know, we want to talk about this and is it happening? And if so, here's how we can help. Right. It definitely should be happening. Um, we have a lot of talks already about um, 
LGBTQ awareness and, and being open with that. And, and they've done great things uh, with with certain clubs that have been set up and discussion groups and 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 have made great strides with with that topic. But uh, but again, yeah, nothing nothing with uh, with the Me Too movement and things like it. So so, yeah, definitely. The more talking that we can do, the better and, and the more open that we can be in the in the community of veterinary schools and veterinary medicine in general is only going to be going to be great. I have that same impression, Seth. I think the numbers in uh, human medical schools are like 33% by the third year of, of women in a medical school curriculum have experienced some form of sexual harassment. So it makes me worry too, is it happening or people just not talking about it? Right. Um, and I will also be intrigued to see if you have, have some of the experiences as you get out into the job market that I've, I've heard some of my male colleagues uh, talk about, which is they'll go in an interview with practice owners who are very glad and are, are vocal about how glad they are to be interviewing a male candidate um, because they don't think that you're going to uh, be as dedicated to your family and taking time off for your family as a female practitioner would be. And as, as someone I know, congratulations, I know you and your wife are expecting soon. Yes, thank you. Um, how do you feel about that work-life balance and, and how you're going to try and maintain that personal time as you as you get out into into veterinary medicine? Work-life balance is, is super important. And again, that's one of those topics that I just think can be spoken about a whole lot more because I know that I can catch us up real quick if, if it's in a bad balance when we're out and, and then we're getting into compassion fatigue and, and, and depression and, and we can get in a whole other discussion about wellness and things like that. But I think it, it all begins with, with a good work-life balance. Now, I've spoken to a lot of friends and a lot of uh, uh, veterinarians about this topic because for me, I know one of my struggles is going to be uh, wanting to work a lot because I am uh, probably a self-proclaimed workaholic. I just love love being busy and and love especially doing um, doing what we're doing in veterinary medicine. And I'm just looking so much forward to to being out, and being a doctor, and 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 uh, and doing my thing. That I'm afraid that I'm going to get so entranced in it that. Uh, that the work-life balance is going to start to shift a little bit, but um, my wife and I have talked about it at length, and we we have certainly made you know a plan uh, while I'm in vet school to spend uh, uh, time together and do dinners every night, even if that means I have to go back to school and study. Um, so I think setting that plan and 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 just making sure that 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 is at the forefront of your mind um, is really important. So I guess before we wrap up, the thing I want to ask you is give us the insight that you've got. What is it that vet students want veterinary technicians and veterinarians alike to know? Sure. So I think one thing that I think would be really great for, for our, our future mentors to be aware of what, for when we get out of school is that I know there's a lot of talk about, uh, uh, about generation definitions and, and millennials and Gen X, Gen Y, all of that stuff. And I think that while millennials have their certain quirks about them and and uh, many pluses and minuses about us, that uh, the, the definition that goes around out there is not necessarily everybody. So um, just be open and, and realize that that there are things that that we as new graduates as, as young adults really get us going and try to discuss that with with your new graduate or with your extern or precept or whatever it's going to be um, because there are a lot of things that we can offer to to a vet practice and, and we have a, a whole cool new outlook on on the way um, the way that our clients are going to be treating our pets and and we're going to be the 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 deciding generation for for all of our, our clientele coming up. So having the discussions with 
with with people in in my age group, our age group. Um, and it sounds like Seth, kind of what you're saying is that different isn't necessarily bad. That different can be a new opportunity. Right, definitely. And just being open to new things uh, is really important. That's kind of one of the qualities that I've found is is pretty prominent in uh, in my class and in in the people that I've I've worked with in the hospital is that. We are we're very open and and very free to try new things, uh, open new doors, and see what works. And if something's not working, I think generally we are uh, pretty easygoing enough to to kind of drop what that is and and try to fix it and and, and figure out something new. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I can tell you is working, and that is you, Seth. I am very impressed. You know, as a third-year veterinary medical student, you are doing a fantastic job. You're making waves in the world. You're sharing information and experiences on your podcast. So tell us a little bit about how people can tune in and where they can find out more about you. Sure. So you can find the Vet School Unleashed podcast uh, on iTunes or anywhere you listen to your podcast, really. And also on the website, vetschoolunleashed.com. I'm also on Facebook. And I try to keep up with uh, some fun Instagram posts uh, every once in a while. Uh, my Instagram handle is Seth the Almost Vet. And um, yeah, we, uh, we try to post a podcast every couple weeks or so, uh, talking about the hottest topics that are pertaining to veterinary students right now. So uh, having great guests on to enter into this, these conversations every uh, couple weeks. I've had Dr. Cindy on and Becky on, and they've been uh, terrific guests. And um, we just have a lot of fun and, and have some candid conversations about what's going on in the world and, and how it relates to, to vet students. Well, Seth, again, thank you on behalf of us for taking time here. And thank you to our listeners for listening to us. I mean, you've heard some really cool insights and information from a veterinary medical school student, but we want to hear from you. We'd love to hear from vet students as well as from veterinary professionals on their messages to vet students on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, also Instagram Veterinary Viewfinder, and Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. And don't forget, leave us a review. We want to hear from you. Until next time, bye. 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 Awesome. In the-